There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Yeah, welcome back. Here is myself, Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield and Mark Archer. We're with you for the next 53 minutes or so. We're keeping you bang up to date with all of the live sport that's currently going on. We're keeping an eye on all the big stories from the past week as well, looking ahead to what we've got to look forward to over the course of the next few days, namely that Rugby World Cup. Let us give you a quick update, though, from the football. It is the early kickoff in the English Premier League. It is Liverpool taking on Newcastle. We're into the final 15 minutes at Anfield and Robbie Greenfield's keeping an eye on it. Still Liverpool 3, Newcastle 1. Two goals for Sadio Mane to cancel out that early strike from uh, St Willems, the left-back for Newcastle. That put the cat amongst the pigeons. Since then, it's been all Liverpool and Mo Salah has added gloss, has surely put the game safe with that wonderful little link-up play with Roberto Firmino, who came on as a substitute, didn't start the match, Chris, but has already had an impact. Mo Salah has added that third goal with 13 minutes left of normal time, you've got to say. It must be curtains for Newcastle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I can tell you as well, it's finished up in Scotland between Hamilton and Celtic. Celtic have made it five wins from their opening five games to kick off this new season. It was narrow, it was tight, but they did get the three points. It did finish Hamilton nil, Celtic won. James Forrest on the goal-scoring sheet for Celtic. As we see, the team news is coming in from Old Trafford. This is the featured match on BN Sports from six o'clock. It is Manchester United down in eighth place, taking on third place Leicester City. I can tell you, David De Gea starts in goals. It's a back four of Juan Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire and Ashley Young. Nemanja Matic makes his first start of the season in for the injured Paul Pogba. He's alongside Scott McTominay in the centre of that pitch. Dan James, the Welsh international, rich vein of form to kick off this season. He will start on their left-hand side. Juan Mata in the centre. Andres Pereira will support the two of those on the right-hand side with Marcus Rashford, the lone front man. That, to me, is not a vintage Manchester United side by any stretch of the imagination. And Brendan Rodgers and this Leicester City team will fancy picking up the three points. Kasper Schmeichel starts in goals. Ricardo Pereira in it right back. Johnny Evans and Sutunchu, the Turk, in the, the centre of the defence. Ben Chilwell comes in at left back. As for the midfield, it's as you were. Wilfred Ndidi, who I'm such a big fan of, he is in there. He will anchor the midfield. Damari Gray will play wide right. Yuri Tielemans will be in there in that centre of the park alongside Hamza Chowdhury. It'll be Hamza Chowdhury, Yuri Tielemans and Wilfred Ndidi. Demari Gray and James Madison providing the width, providing the ingenuity for that lone front man. The man that does not stop running. It is Jamie Vardy. That is your featured match at 6pm down here at Baraste as well. It is Manchester United taking on Leicester. Incidentally as well, I can tell you, it finished over at the Bernabeu. Real Madrid 3, Levante 2. Two goals from Karim Benzema, Casimiro as well getting on the score sheet Eden Hazard making his first appearance in a Real Madrid shirt Robbie Greenfield's also keeping an eye on another big sporting event that is currently making headlines it is the Solheim Cup in the it world is, of golf certainly is it's at Glen Eagles penultimate day of the Solheim Cup we started with the Saturday morning foursomes we're on to the Saturday afternoon four balls it is Europe taking on the USA let's go through what happened this morning in those foursomes it was a win for both Morgan Pressel and at Marine, uh, Alex Marina over Anna Nordfist and Anna Van Dam. Georgia Hall and Celine Boutier then came back to beat Lizette Salas and Ali McDonald. Charlie Hull and Azara Munoz, they beat uh, Daniel Kang and Megan Kang. No relation there between those two. They beat them four and three in that one. And in the final match, Jessica Corder and Nelly Corder defeated Carlotta Siganda 
and Bronte Law. So I can tell you right now, Europe have a narrow lead. It's America that are the defending champions in this one. It is, of course, at Glen Eagles. So Europe are the home team. They're six and a half, five and a half up. We've got two more sessions left to play. We've got the Saturday afternoon four balls and we've got the Sunday singles. And those four balls are out on the course at the moment. Still early stages in that one, Chris. And then for anyone that perhaps is left scratching their heads. Solheim Cup, I've heard that before. What exactly is it? It's essentially the Ryder Cup for the ladies. It's the Ryder Cup for the ladies, but I think the big difference is that uh, at the moment there's been a lot of talk about how the, the world rankings aren't really reflecting the greatest players on the planet. When the Ryder Cup takes place in the men's yeah. game, you've essentially got, maybe with the odd exception of, say, a Jason Day or a Hideki Matsuyama, you've got the best players on the planet right there and, and there. Um, in the women's game, obviously a lot, of the, a lot of the Asian players are dominant in the world rankings. And therefore, I think, and I, I think off the top of my head, I remember reading this yesterday, I think only four of the world's top 20 are in Glen Eagles right now. Do, do they have a, a, a female equivalent of the President's Cup, which is, is in effect the rest of the world, in, in, the, in the male, in the men's game, it's the USA versus the rest of the world team, take away Europe, they do something similar? Because for me, think so. no. that, that would don't be an interesting concept, do. wouldn't it? The rest of it the would. world versus, say, the Americans. Uh, you might have caught me out there, Arch. I don't think they do. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, there's no doubt Asian Asia is dominating when it comes to women's golf right now. It's interesting that though the Solheim Cup, uh, it will be taking the interest of an awful lot. It's over in my neck of the woods in Glen Eagles. I'm sure an awful lot of people are turning out for that one. But currently, Europe lead six and a half to five and a half. And of course, we're in a Ryder Cup year next year. We've got a year to go. It will be Lee Westwood in Rome. It will be Lee Westwood in Rome, yes. No, it will not. No, no it's Whistling Straits next year. Whistling Straits, then it's so, Rome. Yeah, Podrick Harrington, isn't Podrick it? Harrington Podrick. is captaining. Podrick Harrington and is Jim, Jim the who's captain. And, US captain? Uh, you put me on the spot here. Jim, Jim Furyk? It's not Jim Furyk. He captained the last one. Oh, yeah. Who's um, captaining the US, Arch? Oh, my word. Oh, we stumped ourselves. I'm totally stumped. That just shows how much I've been paying attention to the world of golf of late. I cannot Steve Stricker. Him. Steve Stricker. You're absolutely right, Steve Arch. Stricker. Well You're done, absolutely Archie. right. Glad Steve someone's Stricker. got their finger on the pulse. Yeah, there we go. Yes, congratulations, Arch. Yeah, Steve Stricker is <laughs> Steve Stricker the American team. Well, it is Podrick. a year away. Yes. So, uh, I'll yeah, let you off, don't you worry. Should have known that. And then Lee Westwood's in Rome, we're expecting. Lee Westwood is, is not, I think, not confirmed yet, but I think it's all, all roads lead to Lee Westwood in Rome, yes. Yeah, I thought that was the case. I think he's we... keen to make one more team, or at least try to. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me either in actual fact so Solheim Cup Europe against uh, US of A that is currently ongoing six and a half five and a half and uh, we'll keep an eye on that one keen to get Archer's thoughts on who deserved PGA Tour Player of the Year Rory McIlroy got it did he deserve it Mark Archer oh that's a good question and did you see the one the, the way that the um, the the, the um US, the PGA Tour presented it to Roy McIlroy that they, via they, Jack Nicklaus via jo Jack yeah, Nicklaus they, nice. they, they sort of did a viral video of surprising what Rory what Rory McIlroy thought was a casual lunch date with uh, Jack Nicklaus at the Beers Club in Jupiter and he rocked in there and he sits down with Jack and all of a sudden they keep bringing out these trophies that he's won throughout the year and, he's, and, and it's a lovely viral piece I guess given the way that social media is used these days by the tours and by the players and then the final trophy that was awarded was the Jack Nicklaus Trophy for Player of the Year. I guess the other candidate was Brooks Kepka. That was the argument. Yeah. But I think... And it, uh, well, not just the candidate, Arch. Was the, the only man outside of, I think, Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods and Nicholas himself to finish in the top four of all four majors in a calendar year. And, and that's phenomenal. But Unbelievable. Forgive me if I'm wrong, Robbie. This, this, this award, the Jack Nicholas Award for 
PGA Tour Player of the Year is a voted award by the players. It's by, voted by his peers. Yeah. So in some ways, this is the one the players always like to receive because it's, it's your yeah. respect amongst the peers. It's not written by journalists or not written by sort of pundits. It's, it's by the players' award. And I think I think I, I don't know the, the exact stats what Rory McIlroy had off the top of my head, but I know he had something astonishing like 14 top tens. And I think he won maybe two or three tour events to go along with those 14 top tens. So in terms with the play, with the players' championship as well. So an incredibly consistent year. I guess that the the, the, the the negative feedback against Rory McIlroy's year was yet to really win another major, which I guess Brooks Koepka is um, doing your starts, pretty well. Your starts, he finished in 19, he finished 14 top 10s, and only once in those 19 tournaments he played on the PGA Tour did he finish outside the top 20. Yes. I mean, that is extraordinary. Now, there'll be people listening saying, hold on a second, guys, it's about winning. It doesn't matter if you're finishing in the top 10 or the top 20, but in terms of consistency across the board, with how many competing on average, these tournaments? 100, 120. Mm. 120. But, 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 but he won what, you know, what's, what's universally known as the fifth major. Fifth major, Players championship, championship, Canadian Open. Canadian Open. And then the Tour well, Championship. Well, it, it's, it really comes down and the to Phoenix whether... Cup. It's really where it comes down to whether you put more onus on the major championships. Yes. If you put more onus on the major championships, Brooks. you have to give it to Brooks Kepka. Well, here's the question Brooks for had you. a great year as well. Yeah. Well, here, here's the question. Uh, this, is the one, this is the one that you'd always ask, uh, ask, ask Rory himself. Given, given the season, the wonderful season he had, and he had would a, he have a, rather quickly, had? Would he have rather won an extra major and had done nothing else this year and added, no added a Masters to it? There's no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. If you'd offered him Brooks Kepka's year, he'll swap in a heartbeat. I'm sure of that. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Even though he won the $15 million FedEx Cup bonus, Rory doesn't need the money these days. He's got plenty of that. I think he'll take another major to get to five because he's now currently battling. In his generation, you've got Rory and Brooks on four majors. Uh, you've got Jordan as well if I'm not mistaken, on four majors. Am I mistaken there? Well, here, here's a question. Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Spieth is now on four majors as well. Yes, he is. Question yeah. for you, Robbie. Those three players are kind of the, th- the three leading lights over recent years, really. Spieth, Kepka, and McElroy. No, he's on three. He's on three. I'm wrong. Spieth. Oh, I'm having an absolute horror here. Spieth's on, th- Spieth's on three. And he Kepka's now won four. Kepka's won four. Spieth needs to win the uh, PGA Championship yeah. to complete the Grand Slam. He's won one of the Masters. He's won one U.S. Open, and he's won one PGA ch- uh, Open Championship. Yes. Question, th- yeah. question for you, Robbie. You're, you're the golf aficionado. You're the you're, you're the you're the all, knowledge of all things Guru. golf. Whose players? Who's at the bit of career to date? Brooks Kepka or Rory McIlroy? Uh, Rory McIlroy. Rory. Rory over, over the piece. Yeah. Rory, Rory's had the longevity. Um, he's won a European Tour. Rory, yeah. Rory's been more uh, dominant globally. Second, second question on that: Who will have the bit? When, when all's said and done, who will, who will have the bit of career? Rory McIlroy or Brooks Kepka? Brooks Kepka will win more majors yeah, than Rory I agree. McElroy. I think Rory McIlroy has shown fallibility yeah. at, at, the, at the top level. I mean, I think he's, he's an extre- extremely great player. I mean, no doubt about that. He's, he's a brilliant golfer, but there's no doubt as we watch. Is that a goal for Sadio Mane? It is offside. Almost a heart trick, Rob. Damn Almost it. a heart that trick. That would have been a really sweet way to end my, my fantasy involvement in this particular game. Yeah, just a, a yard or so offside. Sadio Mane tucking into an empty net, but it has been flagged, so it won't count. Liverpool still 3-1 up. Where were we? Yeah, Rory McIlroy over the piece has had a better career, but Brooks Kepka is just an animal when it comes to majors. He relishes them, he steps up, he enjoys that, that, that test of patience that I think you see so often in the major championships. Rory looks a little flaky in the majors. His putting looks a little bit suspect. He throws in terrible rounds every now and again. He crumbles under the pressure. You look at what happened in the Open Championship when he opened up with that terrible score 
at his home course, Royal Port Rush, where he's got the course record. He just hasn't been. He just looks like a man who looks... He's wearing the, the expression of someone who's carrying a bit of pressure into those yeah. events. Whereas Brooke Kepska, and I'm only going on what's, what we've seen in the last couple of years, is relishing the test. Could turn around. Golf's a fickle game. Brooks might lose his form. Rory might step step back up to the plate. There's no doubt he's capable of winning more majors. I think we're in for a, an interesting... I think what golf needs is a, a genuine rivalry yeah. between those two to develop. Because at the end of the day, as, I think as we've seen, what's become evident now is that the Tiger Woods appearances, the Tiger Woods little sideshow is more of a cameo now. We're going to see that every now and again he might step up, but you know, he's not going to be contending week in, week out, that's for sure. We're getting a lot of you texting in this afternoon, which is lovely to see. I want to give a couple of shout-outs, if I may. Anis has been in touch. Anis, always lovely to hear from you. Regular listener to Offscript as well said, Hi guys, can you give a shout-out to my sister over in the UK who has just played her first game for Coventry City Ladies? We can certainly do that, Anis. And we maybe need to get your sister on the line in the coming weeks. Love to have her on the show to talk all things footy. Bill's been in touch as well. Now, Bill is just showing off a little bit as Bill. He says, leave for Yokohama on Wednesday. Tickets for Scotland v Ireland and the All Blacks versus the Box, supporting Scotland and the Bockies. Cheers, Bill. That air, That is two good tickets to have. Scotland, Ireland and All Blacks against South Africa. Oh, you've landed on your feet there, Bill. It's a good weekend. That's Saturday and Sunday next weekend. What a, what a, what a great oh, uh, weekend of rugby in Yokohama. I tell you what, Bill, enjoy yourself. Stay safe over there. And given the fact that it's Bill McDougall, I can only uh, I can only guess that Bill yeah. is a proud Scotsman. He'll be wearing his kilt with pride. Will you be wearing your kilt, Bill? 4001, let us know on that front. And Bill, this is one for you, Robbie. Bill's also gone on to say, Chris, did you know that Mitsubishi was started by a guy from Scotland? That's a did you know if ever there was right? one. Maybe that's inventions. Mitsubishi was started by a guy from Scotland. No, I did not know that, Bill. So thank you very much for your text. Brownie's been in touch as well on 4001. Always lovely to hear from you, Brownie. We were talking centre-halves. This in the wake, of course, of Vincent Company claiming that Virgil van Dijk's the best centre-half in Premier League history. Brownie has put forward Jonathan Woodgate. He has admitted, doesn't have the silverware. Yes, he was injury-prone, but when he was fit, could read the game as good as them all. Jonathan Woodgate? Not for me. Good player as he was. I always remember his Real Madrid debut. I think they conceded three and he was sent off. Uh, didn't, he, didn't, he, oh, didn't he score an own goal as well? Uh, <laughs> You're right, he scored an own goal <laughs> and he got sent off. Jonathan Woodgate over at Real Madrid. Of course, Jonathan Woodgate, now manager of Middlesbrough Football Club. And we've had a message in as well from Sarah. I appreciate this is a little late, but Sarah has said, anyone listening to the show today, loving it, guys. Thank you very much, Sarah. Avoid Mall of the Emirates if you can. There seems to be some kind of emergency going on and it, it, it is almost impossible to get anywhere in or out of it. Thank you very much for that, Sarah. So if you are in the vicinity, that was about 45 minutes or so ago. So if you are planning on heading to the Mall of the Emirates, just be mindful there may be one or two delays, certainly from Sarah's point of view, an emergency of some sort down in that neck of the woods. Keep your thoughts coming in to us. It is myself, Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield and Mark Archer. It's breathless stuff. So much going on in the world of sport. When we come back, we should have a full-time result for you from Anfield. We'll go round the houses as well. We'll have team news ahead of the 6pm games, the biggest of those from an English Premier League standpoint. Undoubtedly, it is at Old Trafford. It's Manchester United against Leicester. Stay with us. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, it's all smiles at Anfield for Liverpool Football Club and for that man that's on our screens, Jurgen Klopp. They have beaten Newcastle United in the early kickoff in the English Premier League by three goals to one. They were made to work, certainly in that opening half for it, Rob, but over the piece 
far too good for the Geordies. Yeah, there was a shock on the cards early on, as you mentioned, seven minutes on the clock, and Jetro Willems scored a beautiful goal, outfoxed Trent Alexander-Arnold on the left-hand side of the penalty box, cut inside, fired an unstoppable right-footed shot into the top corner of the goal. But once Liverpool started to wear Newcastle down, those waves of pressure... They are very good at forcing teams into mistakes, Our Liverpool. They play with such intricacy and such speed of thought as well. Sadio Mane got the equaliser. It was a great equaliser as well. It was another powerful right-footed shot, courtesy of an Andrew Robertson assist into the top uh, right-hand corner of the Newcastle goal. It was a defensive mix-up that allowed Sadio Mane to put Liverpool 2-1 up. And that man, Mohamed Salah, he put the gloss on it. He made it 3-1. It looked safe, to be quite honest with you, even before that goal. But uh, Sadio Mane denied a hat-trick via an offside flag with just a few moments left to go. Liverpool 3-1 winners at Anfield and uh, their season, their bright start to this new season has continued, Chris. It certainly has five wins from five. Virgil van Dijk, not for the first time, an absolute Rolls-Royce at the back for Liverpool. As Robbie Ratley points out, Sadio Mane, two goals for the Senegalese. Mohamed Salah continuing his wonderful goal-scoring record since joining the football club from AS Roma. My man of the match, though, and he only entered the field after 35 minutes due to an injury to Divock Origi, was Roberto Firmino. Two assists for the Brazilian. He just makes this Liverpool team that much better. He is, might just possibly be, one of the most underappreciated footballers in world football. I caught up a week or so ago with Ruud Hulet. More on him in just a moment. Of course, the legendary former Ballon d'Or winner. He was the captain of the Netherlands side that won the Euros, uh, European Championships back in 1988. A man that played for AC Milan. A man who would go on to play for Chelsea. Manage Newcastle. He would manage for a spell LA Galaxy as well. He has been very much in praise of Roberto Firmino, certainly in national newspapers back in the UK. And that's where I wanted to start, on Roberto Firmino. I wanted Rude to break down what is it about Roberto Firmino that makes him so well, so good and so effective in this Liverpool team? He's a very un-Brazilian player. He doesn't play as a Brazilian. He plays, he works, his work rate is enormous. But he doesn't play also as a striker. He plays like a midfielder who comes, becomes a striker. So he drops out. And because if he drops out, that's where the two uh, central defenders doesn't know what to do. Because if you go with him, it means it's one, and one, one against one in the middle. So therefore, he creates one man more into the midfield. Okay, so they have three already in midfield. And then with him, it's four. And that's where it all started. So that's why they can play the possession. And on the moment he drops, then the outside players, Salah, Mane, he, they, can, they can cross him, they can, they can make their runs and everything. Sometimes they play on the outside, sometimes the inside. So for that reason, when they go inside, when they make these runs, it makes rooms also for the fullbacks. And you watch Liverpool right now, and, and I know you've said this, yeah. there are a lot of teams, yeah. a lot of teams, and I think Manchester United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has looked at Liverpool. There are a lot of teams yeah. trying to replicate what Liverpool are doing, isn't there? It's difficult, because it depends also on what you have in midfield. In midfield, before they didn't have a lot of creative creativity, they had people that work, they worked their socks off in order to hassle the opposition. And, and therefore, they have fullbacks, they run over. It's difficult to replicate. This is something of Liverpool. The only thing that, for me, that Liverpool, uh, the difficulty that they have, in my opinion, that their work rate is so intense that it's difficult to sustain this for, for the whole season. Mm. For me, that is the most difficult thing because most of the time they play all the time with the same team. Eh? 
they don't they don't change a lot in that team, not a lot. So for that reason, it's very difficult to sustain that that intensity because if the intensity is not there, hmm, they can be in trouble. So that's Ruth talking about the intensity. He's still got one or two concerns about this heavy metal style, if we can call it that. Although I think that's a little dated, that thought process, because we saw last season from Liverpool a little bit more with a handbrake on, a little bit more pragmatic last season. They proved that they could go the course of a season because Blumenel, they won the Champions League and they only lost out in the Premier League by a point. A little dated that view, in my opinion, and, and each, each to their own, everyone's entitled to their opinion on that, and who am I to argue the former Ballon d'Or winner? But I, I, I get on that point, I think he's I think he's missing it a little bit, is rude. On the point about Roberto Firmino and how effective he's become in the way that he is more like a midfielder, the way that he drops in between the lines, he allows Manny and Salah the freedom to come from out to in and, and you know, come in and, and actually come off the lines. And as we're seeing in the replay here, Salah, Manny, they're always in the box. They're not wide men. They're no. given the freedom to come in and, and actually make things happen inside and that And as we area. saw with that goal, Firmino is a, is a very unselfish player. Yeah. I think it, it was well documented in Liverpool's previous game, Sadio Mane wasn't happy about a, 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 a non-pass from Mo Salah. He felt that he was in space, he felt that Mo Salah should have passed, Mo Salah elected to shoot, he went off, he was substituted off and he was re remonstrating on the bench because he was unhappy with not receiving the ball from Mo Salah. So I think Firmino adds balance to those two. Both of them want to be the goal scorers, they want to get on the, sc the score sheet, whereas I don't think Firmino is that kind of player. He's more of an unselfish, more yeah. of a, a well-rounded team player, perhaps. And I think he's just that vital part of the, of the front three. And I agree with you about the, the comment regarding the, the heavy metal football. I think that was a, a, a vernacular that was frequent prior to the joining yeah. of Alisson and Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. They solidified the defence and Liverpool also kind of took a step back a little bit because they were all a little or bit nothing. more measured yeah they were all or nothing I and mean, we saw them beat man city 4-3 in that great game where it was actually a, a far more convincing performance than the 4-3 scoreline suggests um, the season before last and yeah i think in order to win more games and in, in order to grind out a few more games and, and not be so susceptible to the whims of form i think they did uh, change tactics and i think that made them perhaps less exciting to watch in europe but we saw what it did for them as a result. I was just watching the highlights of the Liverpool match, and Firmino, for one, looks to be very unselfish. He looks to be comfortable giving those assists off. Yeah. And I think he's a player that makes Mo Salah and Sadio Mane better players mm. because he's happy playing the nice touches and putting them into space. And he's always his head, he plays the game with his head up. And any chance he's got to play a nice touch off for those guys, he gets them and he gives them the opportunities to score the goals. And I think he's very comfortable playing that role. He doesn't necessarily want to be, the, as, you, as you guys said, the, the goal scorer. And when you've got players like that, it just elevates the team, right? It makes, it makes your guys so much better. He gives it, he can hold the ball up, but he also is such a good, nice little link player, which allows the fullbacks to get forward. And you've got Robertson bombing down one way, Trent Jones bombing down the other way, putting those crosses in. And much of that comes back to sort of the, the work that Firmino does off the ball and on the ball makes those guys so good. And that's what, that's what we're seeing with Liverpool as a team look so impressive over the last 18 months. Liverpool win the league for you this season, Rob? Uh, still City? Yeah, probably still City. You'd have to say they're the favourites, but I'd, I'd actually like to see Liverpool win the league. I think it's time we had a new champion. I wonder if it'll be role reversal this season. I just wonder. Liverpool to win the Premier League, Man City to win the Champions League. I just wonder. Let us know your thoughts on that front on 4 0 of course, still a long way to go. We're only in 
mid-September. The season goes all the way through until the end of May. We'll have more from Rude Hula as we go. It's just turned 5.30. When we come back, we'll give you an update on what's going on over at the Oval as well. Stay with us. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back. Before we delve into team news in the 6pm English Premier League games, you are listening to The Grill. It is myself, Chris McCarty, Robbie Greenfield and the one and only Mark Archer. Plenty to get you up to date with. If you are just joining us, Liverpool, they have beaten Newcastle. No real surprise there in the early kickoff in the English Premier League by three goals to one. Real Madrid victorious over Levante, three goals to two. Celtic victorious over Hamilton at the new Douglas Park by a goal to nil. Jamie Forrest on the score sheet in that one. And Fulham, did Fulham beat West Brom in the early kickoff? In the championship, they were leading by a goal to nil. I can tell you, in actual fact, it finished one apiece. So Slavon Bilic's West Brom getting a late, late equaliser. It was Semi Ajayi, the former Rotherham man, on the score sheet for West Brom. So Fulham won, West Brom won. Let's get an update, though, from the Oval. Day three of this fifth and final Ashes test. Mark Archer's got the deets. Yeah, Ben Stokes is just starting to go through the gears. He was a very slow starter, but he's now on 27 not out. He's hit a four and a six off consecutive balls from Nathan Lyon. He's currently 27 not out of 52 deliveries, and he's joined at the crease with Joe Dentley, who's made his half century on 54 not out. So England, 132 for two. Their lead is now 200 runs, 201 to be exact. Eight wickets in hand. All they really have to do is probably bat the rest of the day. The lead will be in excess of 300 then. And you see it's very tough for Australia to chase a score in excess of 300 in their final inning. So England going along nicely. Slow and, slow and steady progress. 132 for two. And the lead is now over 200 runs. You mentioned that Joe Denley's partner gave birth yesterday. First child for Joe, so he's made a half century. Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. It's I think his, it might wouldn't be. Wouldn't want to go say it was the first, but he missed the first session, I think. He, he obviously was at yeah. the birth of the child. Fantastic. He came back and uh, got back into the match. And he's 50, 54 not out. Yeah. What better way? to celebrate a newborn as uh, maybe go on and score a century and he's a guy that still got, hasn't really convinced at this level people questioning his technique he's a little bit loose outside off stump and uh, his test career is very still much up, up and for grabs but a, a century at the Oval might go a long way towards cementing his position in the England top order Absolutely no doubt about that one we're uh, building up to our early kickoffs in the English Premier League as well it's a full uh, it's a busy busy day of English Premier League football. Brighton taking on Burnley. Manchester United going up against Leicester. That's the featured match down here at Barasti. Sheffield United going up against Southampton. It's Tottenham against Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. Wolves, they take on Chelsea. Difficult one that for Frank Lampard's men at Molyneux. And then the late kickoff at Carrow Road at 8.30 this evening. It is Norwich taking on Man City. Of all those fixtures that stand out, Rob, the one that you're most looking forward to? Uh, I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see Leicester and how they do at Old Trafford. I think that's a, a really interesting match because Leicester are, are, have made a great start to the, the Premier League campaign. Jamie Vardy's in good form. Manchester United, well documented that they are just not looking all that great and uh, they've got some serious issues. That, that They're looking about as average and about as mediocre in terms of their squad on paper as they've looked all year. I'm sure you'll be pleased to know that David De Gea has re-signed or, or signed a new contract. Six, yeah. I don't know though. He's is he flattering to deceive a little bit in the last twelve months? Well, even the USA signing a new contract doesn't mean they, they might not sell him. In, in, in the meanwhile, if he's still if he's still amping for a push, what it just does is they maybe up, up the sale on it, it, it puts them in a stronger position. But I mean, look, Manchester United in eighth position. They've not looked great so far. They won handsomely on the first day against Chelsea. Subsequently, have not looked great at all. They've only picked up two further points in their three matches. And if Leicester beat them, Chris. 
it's full-blown crisis time Absolutely. for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. points behind Liverpool. Yeah, it so this is, this is, it's, a must, it's a must win. To think that this is the fifth game of the season, it's a must win already for Manchester United. So to answer your question, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm also looking forward to seeing how new boys Norwich and Timu Puki get on at uh, Carrow Road against Manchester City. Yeah, that's the late kickoff this evening as well. And actually, in fact, speaking of Manchester City, I want to get, we'll return to Rude Hewitt now because Renus Mikels is a man that a lot of people will tell you is the greatest manager, a football manager that is, to ever live. A man that won Champions League's Eredivisie titles with Ajax, went on to Barcelona, took that 1974 Dutch team, the best team arguably never to win a World Cup, to the final. They were beaten by West Germany, their great rivals. He then would win the European Championships in 1988 with the likes of Frank Rijkaard, Marco van Basten scoring that unbelievable goal against the USSR and of course Ruud Hulet. Wanted to get Ruud's thoughts and this leads itself nicely in to Manchester City and Pep Guardiola and the comparison the contrast between Reynes and Pep Guardiola. We start though getting Rude's thoughts on what made Reynes Mikkels as good as he was. He made him special because he was thinking always in attack. He was always trying to dominate the game. But also, he also could adapt himself to the opposition because the opposition is not sitting still. They also try to do something in order to beat you. So sometimes he adapted himself in order to take advantage of that. And he played, you know, the game that we love so much of Barcelona, Real Madrid, 4-3-3, 4-3-3, Manchester City, 4-3-3, Liverpool, 4-3-3, Ajax, 4-3-3. It's the most attacking way of playing football. Do you see a lot of similarities between Pep Guardiola and Reynes in the way that they are revolutionising yeah, the, the game? It's all the same, yeah, it's all the same. Of course, you need the players to do it then. You need technical, quick players and also technical awareness. So it, 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 it costs Manchester City 500 million to yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not easy, yeah? But tell me this, Rude, and, and I'm, I'm one of those individuals that when I watch football teams, uh, and I will name no names in terms of the managers who I'm aware that I question whether... They sign players, I always wonder, are they improving players from Monday to Friday ahead of a game on Saturday? One thing that is clear with Pep, one thing that is clear with Jürgen, I see it with Maurizio Pochettino, there's improvement. Players are improving on the training ground to then play I, I, on a Saturday. I, I, I think that when you uh, are a coach, I don't think that the coach itself improved a whole lot. If you play... I think that the players themselves improve themselves. If you play with better players, you're going to improve because, you know, it becomes quicker. And the coach gives you a little bit of stimulants, a little bit of, a little bit of things to improve that, okay? Mm-hmm. If you have bad players around you, you cannot improve, even though, even though you have a good coach. So I think that improving is... I think 90% of the players and 10% of the coach. Do we agree with that from Rude there? 90% of a player's improvement comes from within and a coach is responsible for just 10%. That is what Rude Hulu is saying there. Uh, uh, you heard me. I asked the question. Pep, Jurgen, Mauricio, you see their teams evolve. He's putting it down to the fact that they just play alongside other good players. Yeah or nay? 
Absolutely nay. I could not disagree more yeah, I'm with, with what Rude is saying. And full respect to Rude. <laughs> I, I'm not sure he's pretending not listening he to I'm sure he is not listening to the grill. Um, but I, I wouldn't ever, you know, um, I wouldn't ever look to kind of admonish anything that Rude Hullet believes. But to be honest with you, You're about you, just, you just look at what, let, let's draw a direct comparison between Jose Mourinho, a man who has a proven track record of not improving players. Well, he, you see he that, gets teams, you see no, that. Come on, come, come on, on now. He has won trophies with Inter Milan, with FC Porto. Yes, with an existing, pre-existing group of good players. Who's improved? Maybe Frank Lampard, who was on an upward trajectory Didier, anyway. Didier Drogba. Look at the number of players that have joined a team managed by Pep Guardiola and improved off the back of it. Yeah. Raheem Sterling being a case in point. Kevin De Bruyne being a case in point put it like this if, if a manager isn't that important you heard it there he is of the opinion that 10% a manager will get 10% improvement if Maurizio Pochettino wasn't the manager of Tottenham did Tottenham make the Champions League final last season highly, no. unlikely, highly unlikely right managers improve for me and it, it is all about the individual but a manager's job is to ensure that those individuals are buying in to one methodology one philosophy to then wring the best out of them, to create systems, to create patterns, to create training sessions that improve them. Now, Rude there was a bit tongue-in-cheek saying Pep's also had 500 million to spend. That helps, don't get me wrong, having good players helps Pep Guardiola be successful. But equally, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Pep's a lucky manager or a checkbook manager, because it's been shown time and time again that Pep with good players improves good players. Kevin De Bruyne has said so. Lionel Messi, Xavi, Andres Iniesta, they have improved immeasurably under the stewardship of Pep Guardiola. What he's actually saying is that they'd have improved under anyone because they're that good. That's his that's, point. That's his, that's his thinking. Well, then it's just surely then coincidence that Pep Guardiola has created all these wonderful yes. to watch teams. Yeah. Because I just think, you know, look at Romelu Lukaku under Jose Mourinho, stagnating, not, not improving as a player. Look at the number of players that have joined a team managed by Jose Mourinho and that have actually gone backwards. Paul Pogba being another example of someone who just hasn't... He, 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 he gets teams to, to, to eke out results. Yeah. He doesn't build teams. It's that old classic sort of um, cross between someone who is, evolves a team like Pep does, has a philosophy, and, and, and he gets the jigsaw pieces to fit, whereas Jose Mourinho just grabs that that squad and just rings it to within the very last drop of its capacity. I think when you're talking coaching, you have to be a bit more holistic, and it's not just about improving players. You have to obviously have the right system, you have the right players that fit that system, you have to create the right chemistry. You speak to a lot of managers these days, and I'm sure they'll tell you it's managing egos, managing the locker room, making sure that everyone buys into what you're trying to do, what's the philosophy, what's the culture at the club, going through the scouting, going through the coaching, and I think, it, I think it's more holistic that, that these coaches bring a more sort of medium to long term we know coaching now at the top levels is a short term profession yeah. but we see the coaches that have success about building a style building a culture having a chemistry finding a system identifying the players to fit that system bringing players from not just big name signings but also developing youth I think it's a, it's, a, it's a culmination of all those factors that should define those very very top managers these days and I think I think we nowadays sports so short term thinking by buying success 
I think the really con the really successful managers over time have got all the successful ingredients and being able to conjure up that mix that pot up. And you talk about Pochettino, you talk about Sir Alex Ferguson, you talk about Pep's down at clubs. They've had a combination of all those factors. What's improving under, uh, say, let's use Raheem Sterling as, as an example. Great example. Is his crossing improving? Maybe. Maybe as his confidence grows. Is his shooting improving? Maybe as his confidence grows. Why is his confidence growing? Because Pep Guardiola is nurturing that confidence and he is helping Raheem Sterling to understand his, his full potential as a player. Yeah. He's helping him to realise his true potential. Is he improving his technique per se on the training ground? That's hard to say whether Pep is markedly improving it more than any other coach would. But what I think he is improving is his decision-making on the pitch, his, his awareness of what's going on around him, his, his kind of tactical IQ and his tactical acumen. That is what's improving under Pep Guardiola. And his confidence as a result is improving. And then what Pep Guardiola does is he unlocks these mental barriers that allow someone like Raheem Sterling to then go on and actually think, hang on, I could actually get to the level of a 25 goal a season player yeah. I'm capable of doing that and Pep Guardiola has shown him how to do it that's what he's doing not necessarily that he's making him a better footballer per se technically let us know 4-0-0-1 I again not for the first time disagreeing with Rude. want to get Rude's final thoughts here if I may before we head for a quick break and then wrap things up uh, because I wanted to ask Rude as well for his thoughts where does he sit on two vastly inexperienced managers in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard been given two of the biggest jobs in club football, Manchester United and Chelsea respectively. This is what he had to say. I think yeah, you have to give them an opportunity. You know, It's so easy to say when things go wrong, all of a sudden you're not a good coach. How long did Klopp work his socks off to, to, to win the Champions League? How many times? How many finals have he lost? Is he then a bad coach? No. No. So therefore, I say to yourself, I said, they are young. Throw them through the, through the Lions also. And I, when I see Chelsea play, I see a team that wants to play. Do they have the players to do it? Oh, yeah, eventually they have. But they need to. They need to prove because they're young. So give, give them parts. Give them some time. Give them some time. Okay? And let him work. Because I think it will, it will be done. Same with Solskjaer. Give him. He came at the most difficult time he came in the club. Most difficult time he comes with a lot of issues. So give him time to sort these issues. It will not, you will not sort these things out in a month's time. It's impossible. Well, give him time. That is where Rude is talking a lot of sense. He's saying give those managers time. Will they get it right? He believes they will. Uh, maybe disagree with the Ole shout. Mm, I can maybe more get on board with the Frank shout. But at least he's talking sense. Give them time. But as we all know in current football, that is a commodity that they ain't getting. No. And this is the problem. Both of them are under a, an, an awful lot of pressure already. Chelsea have had a, a pretty iffy start to the Both, season. Five Both points. of them are on five points. And um, you know, Chelsea just look, at, you know, it's, it's naivety at the end of the day. It, it, it's things that have happened in games. I know that uh, when Chelsea played Leicester, Brendan Rodgers made a couple of adjustments in that second half that allowed Leicester yeah. to get back into the game. Does Frank Lampard have the in-game acumen, the in-game experience right now? No to make a difference but then at the end of the day if you're that precocious as a manager if you are just a force of nature like Pep Guardiola was I know he was at Barcelona B but when he took over at Barcelona he had the players he, could do he? No wrong. he had the players the problem with Frank is that he's trying to he's trying to manage a transition 
with a Chelsea team that has been used to winning yeah. over and over again, it's probably, well, if not the most successful team in the Premier League era, one of the top three most successful teams in the Premier League era. And suddenly he's got your Tammy Abrahams, he's got your Mason Mounts, inexperienced players. Good players. And he's lost Eden Hazard, yeah. who's been the best player in the Premier League for the last eight or nine years. He's got a, t a really tough, tough order. You know, if he, even if he'd had Hazard, it would have been tough. The fact he's lost him and he's got to rebuild, Chelsea are just going to have to be patient with him. Patience, is that a thing that Roman Abramovich, Chelsea, is that a thing Ed Woodward, Manchester United will give both Lampard and Solskjaer respectively only time, as Rude said, will tell. Would you just be shocked if they're both here at the end of the season? Frank will be. I'd be shocked if Ollie is. You still think I, Frank will? Yeah, I think Frank will still be in charge. Ollie. I've got my doubts. Incidentally, by the way, Rude Hulett, you can catch a glimpse of Rude. You can uh, actually have a round of golf with Rude because he's over here next Thursday. He will be taking part in the DSA Open. That is part of the DHL Swing Against Cancer Golf Series. It's organised by 1610 and Worldwide Golf. DSA Architects, they're hosting the third event in the 2019 series. This coming Thursday at the Magellus Course at Emirates Golf Club. They're raising money for 13-year-old Randolph Palomar who is recovering from a brain tumour. Funds are being used directly directly to help him with physiotherapy, speech therapy and ongoing scans and treatment. This is the third year of the series, an incredible series which has to date raised over 250,000 US dollars for cancer patients in the UAE and back in my part of the world, Scotland. Rude, he will be lending his support to this event, as I say, next Thursday. He joins a long list of celebrities to do just that, like some Mike Tyndall, Harry Redknapp, John Barnes, Robbie Fowler, Matt Letizia, Didi Haman as well as former Manchester United star Lee Sharp. If you want to have a round of golf with Rude Hoolett, if you want to maybe hear him regale some tales, it will be an evening dinner hosted by our very own Tom Ucker. It is Swing Against Cancer series. It is taking place, as I say, next Thursday at the Mangelis Emirates Golf Club. For more information, you need to email info at swingagainstcancer.com. A chance for you to get more information to register your interest in both either the golf day or the evening dinner. That is info at swingagainstcancer.com. You're listening to The Grill. More of the biggest sports stories now. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hey, welcome back. Asad's been in touch on 4001 with our little conversation about Pep Guardiola and his greatness. Asad pointing out Pep Guardiola took over a winning and proven Barcelona side. Were they not? Memory serves me correct. They were going through a wobble. Frank Rijkaard had lost his way a little bit when Pep took over. Then he took over a treble winning Bayern. No doubt about that. He did take over Bayern when their star was at its very brightest. And then he took the current greatest English team with the biggest budget. Well, the current greatest English team because of Pep Guardiola. I'm very much belief of that. Yes, OK, they've got a big budget, but they've spent it wisely. I think, crucially, that's key to that. And Assad's gone on to say, who improved Sterling more, Brendan Rodgers or Pep Guardiola? No doubt that, no doubt that Pep has improved Sterling more. I think Brendan Rodgers... Give him his chance. Can, can, be, ...can be applauded and given full credit. I know Assad, I think, is a Liverpool fan. Um, but I think Pep has turned him into a ruthless finisher. Someone who is, you know, we're talking about being the best player, the best English player right now, maybe the best player in the Premier League as of, as of right now. Uh, he's, been, he's shown consistency. Yeah, he has been great. I, I'm not taking anything away from Brendan Rodgers, but I think to de demean Pep Guardiola as someone who's just walked into these jobs through happenstance, come on. Barcelona's the greatest club side we've ever seen. And the big reason behind that is Pep. Is Pep. Yeah. I know they've had Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, 
Busquets and the like. But Busquets I'm, I'm was given his that. opportunity. He wasn't getting but a looking. Come looking. on, we're talking about a guy who got them to a level that we've never seen a club side play yeah. before. We're talking about a guy who's elevated City to me, maybe playing football that we've never seen in the Premier League before. This is more than just about money spent. Other teams have spent yeah. big money. You can see Chelsea throughout the years, Manchester United throughout the years have all spent big money. Big money does not necessarily equate to an attractive, effective footballing yeah, unit. So, I, I mean, I think you're being a little bit harsh on Pep there, Asad. Well said, well said. Now then, I want to get a quick update before we clock off. We've got four or five minutes or so. Ross Christ has joined us down here. I want to get his thoughts on a big story over in the US in just a second. Before I do that, though, Mark Archer, give us a quick update. What's going on at the Oval? Yeah, England making good progress. They currently lead Australia by 215 runs with eight wickets remaining in their second innings. 146 for two England. Joe Dentley, he's on 58. And Ben Stokes going through the gears now. 36 not out. Uh, it's at three fours and one six. So England... 146, they had, a, they had an overnight lead. They've extended that to over 200 now, 215 to be exact, with eight wickets in hand. If they bet out the rest of the day, they'll be comfortably 300 runs plus ahead, and it's probably their match to lose. Yep. So in Australia, for me, the Ashes are safe. They've probably got one foot on that plane back to uh, back down under, and maybe this, this match might be one, one game too far for them. But England looking to save face, looking to square the series, and they have a dominant lead in, the, in uh, day three of the fifth test. Last minute call up for the final couple of minutes. It is Ross Chris. Roscoe, good afternoon, my man. Good evening to you and all the listeners. How's everyone doing? You've had a fresh trim as well, just to say this I is, like this it. This is a 95th minute substitution. This, this. is a 95th minute sub bringing Ross Christ <laughs> into the conversation. Loving the new trim, my man. Looks like we disrupted him halfway through his haircut. Well, I like it. I think it's down. It's getting down with the cool kids, is what he's doing. I need to get one very similar like that shortly. Listen, I know this is a sore point for you, given that the man I'm about to mention is formerly of your beloved Pittsburgh Steelers, but Antonio Brown is officially a patriot. Whether he remains a patriot for much longer remains to be seen. I won't delve into that, but assuming that he does, is he a game-changer? Is he ensuring that the Patriots are back in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. I think they can get to the Super Bowl without, without him, and they show that at week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers. You're looking at a New England Patriots team that could go 16-0. and they just look like they are so darn good on both sides of the football. And they don't have Rob Gongrowski this year. So who knows if Gronk comes back mid midseason. I look at Antonio Brown as maybe the Trojan horse. You put him into that locker room, he could actually maybe disrupt it. Yes, he's a dynamic player, and the Pittsburgh Steelers were able to utilize his talent. But listen, you're the New England Patriots. You've proven you can get to the big game year in, year out with Tom Brady, with the Bill Belichick, the Patriot way. Antonio Brown is the absolute nemesis of the Patriot way. He stands for everything that they don't stand. So I just don't see him. I don't I don't quite see the benefit of him. Yes, he's a great player, Hall of Fame. Hall let of fame let me ask you, is he still a Patriot player come the end of the year? That is a great question. Uh, I would love to know what Vegas thinks on this one. I will say he will be a Patriot player by the end of the year. I don't think he's on the New England Patriots next year. Interesting. And do Patriots get to the Super Bowl? Ooh, another good question. Yeah, I'll say the Patriots Oof. make it out of the AFC. Look at that. Look Oof. at that. I'll say the Patriots Oof. make it out of the AFC. Crystal subbed in last minute, bringing the big, uh, bringing the big the strongest news. opinions we've had all day. In, ter in terms of who impressed you week one of the NFL very quickly, Roscoe? Yeah, just very quickly. New England Patriots, of course, they did extremely good work the Baltimore Ravens coming yeah. out 
and they just put up 58 points. Outstanding work there. Also, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Everyone's been saying this whole entire time Jameis Winston's been under setter. Give Jameis Winston a defense, and he'll be good. Give Jameis Winston a defense, he'll be good. He finally has one, and he looks darn good out there. So look for them out of Tampa Bay to do some things out of the NFC. Those three teams right now is the three ones I got my eye on. Of course, I got my Pittsburgh Steelers, but it's not looking good in black and gold country right now, only putting up three points in week one. They could be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Oh, don't tell me that. I've got Juju Smith-Schuster in my fantasy. He's got to get some points this weekend. Surely, Ross, tell we me well. We would hope so. He needs some support. He needs someone else that can catch the ball because they're just double-teaming him everywhere we go. Uh, the, the Steelers need to make a play outside of Juju, outside of uh, James Conner, uh, for them to be effective against other teams in the NFL. Crystal, top man, thank you for that. And I am intrigued. Cannot wait for Sunday, 9 p.m. So I'm telling you now, and I'll say this, and I said it to the missus, she laughed at me this week. I'm loving my NFL more than I'm loving my football right now. <laughs> Which is bad news for her. I really am. It's just, it, I'm obsessed with it right now. It Crystal, makes for an awful you. long Sunday night, doesn't it? Oh, oh it's a great was Sunday 9 o'clock till 3 a.m. I, I was on the WhatsApps to Ross. He went off to his bed. He was getting up for the Patriots Steelers. I ended up seeing it through till 3 in an adventure. I thought, I've get, got to get to my bed. Anyway, Sunday, 9 o'clock, more football. Ross thank you always a pleasure Mark Archer safe flight back to Saudi tomorrow morning thank you very much you are a, you're a nomad is what you are I these am days. busy man these days busy you're man. a busy man Robbie Greenfield I'll see you tomorrow see you tomorrow oh cheapers look forward to it we're back on your airways from 5 o'clock off script tomorrow and a reminder that chance to win an all expenses pay trip to the Rugby World Cup until then Benji big thanks big thanks to the ones and twos and all the people down here big thanks to Elaine back at house as well from all of us here have yourselves a wonderful Saturday evening we're back off script that is from 5pm tomorrow until then good night this is The Grill. Join the conversation. Tweet the team at Dubai Eye Sport. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.